0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the Comic book Conversation Show. John Suntras here. Uh, This podcast is going to be in two parts. I'm re-recording the first part because every time I've almost completed it, I get a call from a friend who wants to know how I'm doing. I'm still in the hospital. Everything's going in the right direction. Let me start off by saying that. Uh, Healing properly, it's just going to be a really long process because I have this open wound that technically is prone to infection, but uh, they've got it covered up. And they change the bandaging every couple days. I'm slowly getting my mobility back. I'm walking with a walker. I'll be moving to a rehab center later this week. And uh, we'll uh, also have my laptop with me there and access to the five interviews, as I said in the last interview episode, uh, where I can uh, start putting out – Great uh, uh, interviews that I did right before Christmas, knowing that we were going into the holiday season of Christmas and New Year's. So I banked like five shows, and they're all fantastic. I can't wait to share them with you. So I'll be on a more regular schedule in the days and weeks ahead. Also, Tuesday, the 15th, there's going to be some technical maintenance going on because Word Balloon, moving forward, is going to be completely on Spreaker. It shouldn't affect things if you're subscribing. There is going to be an additional feed to subscribe to, though, and that's Word Balloon Classic which uh, features the first 500 or so episodes of the 830 episodes I've done since uh, September of 2006. That's when the current RSS feed went up, even though Word Balloon started in May of 2005. But um I'll ask you to resubscribe to the classic feed so you can get access to a lot of the old episodes. We just had trouble moving them to Spreaker, so the solution is to have the current feed still on Spreaker as well as where it currently is at Blog Talk Radio, previously on Lipson, and then the older episodes are going to be available on this Word Balloon classic feed. So I hope you'll subscribe to that as well, and you can get access to the first Bendis tapes and first conversations with Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and... Uh, God, the great Gene Colin and Kurt Busick, the only time I'll ever hear Kurt Busick on my podcast. Uh, really great stuff in the original feed. And uh, it's uh, been inaccessible up until uh, these moves we're making on Spreaker on Tuesday. So uh, I'll let you know via social media when the new feed is up and running. And uh please, uh, like I said, resubscribe to word balloon and i 'll be making this uh, plea as well on uh, subsequent episodes but today it 's all about q and a. I got some great questions from listeners, just like I did last time, even more so so uh, again it's it 's a, a two parter and i 'm re recording this first part so I can accommodate uh, people and you can hear uh, a complete show. but uh, the second part is eighty minutes long and is really the bulk of the questions. This portion of Word Balloon is brought to you by In Stock tr- – not In Stock Trades. This portion of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics, our good friends at Aftershock Comics, who uh, have been uh, helping me out. And uh, they got a great new slate of books coming in 2019, and uh, along with their current crop as well. Some of the great writers at Aftershock Comics, they're all recognizable names. I know you know these people. We're talking about Garth Ennis and Cullen Bunn and Frank Thierry and Adam Glass and Paul Jenkins and uh, Marguerite Bennett and uh, Phil Hester. Uh, so many great uh, creators that you already know and trust with their wonderful work at DC and Marvel well, they're doing a lot of fresh concepts here at Aftershock Comics you'll want to check them out there are great books, great genres be bold in 2019 do yourself a favor sure, we all love our DC and Marvel books but be experimental check out some of the great books at Aftershock Comics you'll find preview pages and the diamond codes on how to uh, order these books through your local, local comic shop at AftershockComics.com Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support uh, via Patreon. Uh, If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, you'd certainly be helping me out in this time when I am down and am not able to give my radio hours, but I am able to do my podcast hours. So if you'd like to help the cause, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you have a couple spare shekels you can spare, uh, you can go to patreon.com wordballoon subscribe to word balloon is it worth a dollar a month to you is it worth the price of a comic book a month to you i certainly hope so but thank you very much for your support especially in this time of need league of word balloon listeners all right let's get started uh funny stuff uh, great questions here both uh, uh, real ones that are uh head scratchers and also just some fun questions as well my buddy steve rotterdam uh wants to know uh, who do i like better genie uh, from i dream of genie or samantha from bewitched now Hard question. i got to be honest. And forgive me if this is getting into sexist territory, but I know what he means. Uh, they were two beautiful women. And when you were kids and you were sick, these were our go-to shows, Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie reruns. Um, I even remember the last couple of years of uh, Bewitched because it made it to I was about 10 years old. And I was a big uh, Bewitched fan. I loved Elizabeth Montgomery. She was lovely. But she really was more of a mother figure because of having uh, Tabitha and Adam, her kids, so uh and I'll tell you though uh as far as having a crush on Elizabeth Montgomery if you watch her pre-Bewitched stuff from the late 50s and early 60s man she was a lovely beautiful blonde sometimes a good girl sometimes a femme fatale uh she was great in an episode of one of my favorite early 60s TV shows called Johnny Staccato kind of a beatnik piano player that John Cassavetti's played and uh she's great in that and starts off as a girl next door and then becomes kind of a uh, little uh, femme fatale at the end and gets a little sexy with uh, Cassavetes. She's lovely. Um, Jeannie, though, man, that's everybody guy's dream. A beautiful woman at your beck and call and can grant you any wish that you want and is so lovely and in love with you and everything. Plus, it was astronauts. Major Nelson, Major Healy, man, right in the middle of the space program. So I was a huge NASA fan and a huge NASA uh, kid. So I loved I Dream of Jeannie. I actually got to meet... Uh, Barbara Eden She came to our sports talk station in the 90s And still a very beautiful woman Tiny, very, very tiny And was wearing platform shoes And still very, very tiny Like probably barely 5 feet tall And uh, I I, I thought I was paying her a compliment But again, dumb guys And I know women are just shaking their heads When you hear this, but I'm like Oh Miss Eden, I, I, I must confess You were one of my first uh, crushes As a child. And she looked at me like she was my fourth grade science teacher. And I just threw a spitball or something like that and just had this very frowny face and said, Really? Isn't that charming? So obviously, (laughs) I kind of offended Jeannie, but I still love her. And I still, uh, man, again, pre IGN and Jeannie, check out things like the beach movie she made called Ride the Wild Surf. Uh, and also, of course, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, the original movie with uh, Walter Pigeon and Peter Lorre and Frankie Avalon. Uh, the movie's even better than the TV series. And, of course, Barbara Eden doesn't hurt. And her uh, episode of Andy Griffith where she's the manicurist at Floyd's Barber. Good stuff, man. She's lovely. So if I really have to pick between Jeannie or Samantha, it's got to be Jeannie. Uh, John Swinimer, and I'm sorry, John, if I'm not saying your name right, but you're a good loyal League of Word Balloon listener as well. What are my thoughts on the new Chuck Wepner film called The Brawler that's coming out soon? I watched the trailer. I wasn't even aware of this until you asked the question. Um, It confused me because it looks fine. It looks interesting. But there was already a good independent movie about the life of Chuck Wepner that came out a while ago uh, that Leif Schreiber did, and it's called Chuck. I know it's been on Showtime. Uh, a great movie. A really, really interesting movie. And Chuck Wepner has a great story. If people don't know uh, who I'm talking about, Chuck Weppner was a 60s and 70s heavyweight contender, kind of a fringe contender, but fighting in the best era of heavyweights. Uh, got great wins and had some dynamic losses. Was known as the Bayonne Bleeder because he had very uh, uh, porous skin that if you uh, hit him the right way, he'd start bleeding, literally. And there's some really gross pictures of him after fights where it looks like somebody took an axe to his face. I'm not kidding. Uh, One of the worst bleeders I've ever seen in boxing. Well, um, after Ali beat Foreman in the great upset in Zaire, the Rumble in the Jungle, he was looking for an easy tune-up fight afterwards to keep himself in shape but not really press himself too hard. And uh, Don King promoted it. And Don was still – well, I shouldn't say was still because he at that point had been paroled from jail – But uh, he had heavy connections with the Cleveland mob. And Chuck Wepner was their fighter. So it was kind of convenient for Ali and convenient for King to set up the fight with Chuck. It was a very boring fight. Ali had this easily won. But all of a sudden in the 15th round, Wepner stepped on Ali's foot and punched him at the same time and got Ali to fall over and basically scored a knockdown. Um, He got up right away. But still, Chuck Wepner knocked down the champion of the world. Well... That became the inspiration for a great movie because among the people who saw the fight on closed-circuit TV was a young actor named Sylvester Stallone. And that's where he got the idea from Rocky and has been pretty public in saying it was the Ali-Chuck Wepner fight that inspired the first Rocky story of Rocky fighting Apollo Creed. There's a great 30 for 30 that ESPN did a great documentary with Wepner. Weppner tells the story himself. Um, it became a point of contention. At first, it was a badge of honor. Knowing that Rocky was based on his life, but he never saw a dime. And obviously Stallone made millions from the Rocky franchise. And ultimately Webner felt like he deserved a cut. Kind of like a comic book creator working for hire and creating a great superhero and never seeing a dime of the millions that were made from the TV or movies. So um, they, they went to court and the good news is Webner did uh, get an out-of-court settlement Nobody knows the, the amount of money. Neither Stallone or Webner are talking. That was part of the settlement that they never say how much money it was. But uh, you know, Chuck got his story out there, and Chuck got his payday finally. So uh, the story ends happily. Now I don't know if he was inv- if he's involved with this new movie, The Brawler, or if he was involved with the previous movie, Chuck. But um, I'll wait and see if the critics say it's a good movie. I'll check it out. If not, I'll wait till it's streaming and I'll check it out then. I mean, I got to say, I've been a big fan of a lot of the boxing movies that have come out in the last few years. I think they've all been excellent. Let's move on to Alex Chung, who kind of still talks about boxing, but brings comic books back into the fray as well. He asked which comic book depicts boxing's uh, moments best. And just in general, he he asked, I have to say the first issue of Daredevil and the story of the fall of Jack Murdoch, Daredevil's father is incredibly well done in the comic. Wally Wood did a beautiful job drawing it. Stan did a great job writing the scenes. I have a feeling it was based on a a boxing movie from the late 40s called The Setup, starring Robert Ryan. It was directed by Robert Weiss, who also directed uh, such varied things as The Day the Earth Stood Still, the first Star Trek movie of 1979, the musical The Sound of Music, uh, a very talented, underappreciated Director from Hollywood's golden era. He was also the editor of Citizen Kane and Magnificent Ambersons for Orson Welles, Robert Wise. But much like the story of Jack Murdoch, in the setup, a broken-down fighter is asked to throw a fight and fix it for an up-and-coming contender. But uh, in the case of Jack Murdoch and in Daredevil, um, he couldn't let his son see him lose. And I think it was a beautiful portrayal of a fighter and his dignity. And uh, he put it together and he ends up knocking the kid out. It's a great moment for Jack Murdoch. It's a proud moment for Matt Murdoch. And then, of course, unfortunately, the Fixer's men follow Jack Murdoch into the alley and they kill him. Uh, Great drama. Amazing stuff. Both in the film and setup and also in uh, Daredevil number 1. So that would be my my ultimate all-time favorite comic book adaptation of boxing. However, uh, Sergeant Rock's origin... That's how Sergeant Rock got his nickname, Rock. Uh, He was a fighter that would win as much as he would lose, but you couldn't knock him out. He refused to go down. So they called him that he was tough as a rock. Um, Also, there's, of course, the classic Superman versus Muhammad Ali comic from the 70s. That's a terrific boxing comic. Both Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams really nailed the action, got the spirit of Ali. Uh, you, You see Superman in action. Uh, it's, it's a great comic book and, in fact, uh, inspiration for Tom King's current run of Superman that's happening in the Walmart comics. He had a great new Superman fighting an alien boxer uh, moment and in one of the stories, and it was a great uh, depiction. And then, of course, there is the amazing uh, montage of uh, scenes in The New Frontier featuring Wildcat, Ted Grant, the former heavyweight champion's last fight, and he's fighting an up-and-coming, undefeated Cassius Clay. And that's just great boxing drama at its best. It's happening in Vegas. Uh, If you haven't read it, I'll I'll leave it at that. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. It's a tremendous scene, and uh, it's a great way for Wildcat to have his final fight in the ring. Uh, Certainly not his final fight uh, as a superhero. But it was a beautiful moment for Ted Grant. And Ted Grant is absolutely one of my all time favorite characters. My buddy Ashley Robinson wants to know who my favorite, or I should say, who the best speedster is and why. Now, Ashley's a great writer. Um, she and Jason Inman are a power couple. They did Jupiter Jet, uh, a great book that they kickstarted, and also their recent kickstarter for the book Science which is kind of a combination of Hogwarts Academy and Starfleet Academy, if you will. Sounds like a really great idea, and I was happy to help uh, them promote their idea. Best speedster and why? Well, let's go in reverse order and start with uh, number nine on my list, and that's Max Mercury. Now, I respect Max's position in the Flashverse. I like the idea that he mentored Impulse and is this great classic speedster. I would love to see flashback stories of Max in his prime fighting in the DC universe wouldn't that be interesting to watch and uh, see him in action against maybe a Vandal Savage or some of the other older uh, DC villains you know I think that would be terrific but um, I don't know he's at the bottom of my list because I think the role also could have been uh, covered by Jay Garrick but instead we got Max uh, mentoring Impulse at number 8 I've got Bart Allen Impulse himself I respect the character but as an older reader you know I just younger characters I don't know I'll be interested to see what I think of Bendis' uh, Young Justice coming up because usually uh, I'm a tough sell when it comes to uh, kid books. I was even like that about the original Young Justice comic uh, and even the Teen Titans for that matter. Wizzer, the great Marvel timely speedster of the uh, 30s and 40s, he's at number seven. Quicksilver's at number six. There was always something jerky about Quicksilver and they continue to write him that way in Marvel. And I get it and I'm glad because you want a difference between, you know, characters and everyone doesn't have to be, you know, a, a great superhero in their own right. But Quicksilver just has too many quirks for me to really get behind him any higher than number six. At five, Jesse Quick, uh, the daughter of Johnny Quick. I like her. She's a legacy character. I respect her. But she can't hold a can- candle to her father. Uh, great character from the Silver Age. Johnny Quick. I've always enjoyed the reprint uh, s- stories that I've read um, in Flash, 100-page spectaculars and the like, and I loved his portrayal in The New Frontier, or rather not The New Frontier, The Golden Age, the James Robinson story about a lot of the uh, Golden Age uh, heroes in the post-World War II era. I love that story. So Johnny Quick said number four. Jay Garrick said number three, Uh, to me, the true mentor of The Flash verse, certainly a mentor to Barry and to uh, Wally as well. There was nothing more exciting than reading when the three of them would team up and fight uh, different people, and plus, I always love Jay's role as a mentor in the Justice Society, uh, in the hands of people like Jeff Johns, where again, Jay and Alan Scott and Hugh and Hugh Grant, I was going to say Ted Grant, and of course uh, the Golden Age Wonder Woman, as uh, and even my uncle as great mentors to the younger heroes. I, I appreciate that position that Jay has in uh, the DC Universe. Now, number two and number one, and this is where it gets a little controversial. I understand the love for Wally West. Um, People slightly younger than me, people in their 40s and slightly younger, we all feel like we grew up with Wally West. And uh, certainly if you were reading comics during Crisis on Infinite Earths and Barry died and Wally has to step up and become The Flash, that was an interesting and great shock. It was a great shot in the arm for The Flash series to now follow Wally trying to live up to the legacy of his uh, uncle and best friend, Barry. Uh, It was terrific. It was excellent. But I felt a little bit older because I spent more time with Barry before Wally got started. I've always loved Wally's Kid Flash. I love the yellow and red Kid Flash uniform. I love the current uniform that Wally has. I'm very interested to see how Heroes in Crisis pans out with Tom King to see where Wally ends up. I don't believe he's really dead. Um, We'll see what happens. But regardless... I uh, I do love Wally a lot, but I love Barry that much more because uh, Barry in the hands in the 1970s of the great Kerry Bates, the wonderful writer of The Flash, that was great stuff, man. And Kerry uh, Bates just did a great job with Barry, and it was the 1970s, and you can argue that characters weren't as fleshed out as they became in the 80s and subsequent decades. But I would argue that Kerry uh, Bates had a very nuanced approach to The Flash, and he was very much an individual Um, I love the trial of the flash, the final story. And, uh, not only don't take my word for it, take Jeff Johns's word for it. He loved Barry Allen in the hands of Carrie Bates. And I'm sure that was one of the reasons why, uh, when it was time for rebirth that he felt it was necessary to bring Barry back and be the flash again. I know it's very controversial. I know there are a lot of Wally fans out there and I don't blame you Wally's a great, great character, but it's usually the original kind of like the bonds kind of my love for sean connery as great as daniel craig is and other subsequent bonds you you can't beat the original and uh, even though jay technically is the original you know i mean barry ushered in the silver age um i've always loved barry allen i just always found him interesting i appreciated that he was a police forensic scientist at a time that i didn't even know what forensic science meant but that fascinated me as well that he was a police scientist great stuff man So I'm a huge fan of uh, Barry's, and that's why he's number one in my book. W. Blaine Dowler asks, uh, what uh, non-comics creator would I love to have on Word Balloon? I would say uh, Noah – is it Hawley? I'm sorry. I had it written down earlier, and I can't read my own writing right now. But the guy that uh, uh, created Legion on FX, that's such a groundbreaking show. I mean, I think you're talking about the level of uh, storytelling on uh, things like The Prisoner in the 60s and so unconventional in its presentation. I am fascinated by this guy. I would love to talk to him about how he makes television. So that's my answer, Blaine. Robert Lee Jefferson Kofi uh, asks, what are my favorite current books that I'm enjoying? Uh, Martian Manhunter by Steve Orlando, also Electric Warriors. I love Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America. I'm loving Bendis' Superman. I'm loving Tom King's books, Batman, Mr. Miracle, Heroes in Crisis. I'm enjoying Doomsday Clock. Uh, those are things right off the top of my head that I can say. Loved Hey Kids Comics. Howard Chay could just wrap that up, his Image series. Uh, love what Rick Remender does. Love what Jonathan Hickman does. Um, Jason Aaron. Dan Slott. Uh, Gail Simone. Tini Howard is a new favorite of mine. Really enjoy her work. I love Joelle Jones' Catwoman. So there's a nice little laundry list of uh, what I'm reading right now, Robert. Uh, moving on, uh, let's see. And I'm sorry, I don't have the name in front of me. But uh, they ask you know, the DC Hanna-Barbera mashups have been great. Uh, any thoughts on possible Marvel mashups with any cartoon heroes? And who would you want to write and draw them? I have no idea about writing and drawing them. I mean, everyone has surprised me uh, with the DC Hanna-Barbera mashups that they've done. They've been excellent. So, uh, But I would love to see Spider-Man and Anna-Man together. I wouldn't mind seeing the Hulk and Captain Caveman together or Hulk and Frankenstein Jr. Wouldn't it be interesting to see a futurist uh, conversation between Tony Stark and George Jetson? Uh, There's a couple right there as far as Marvel characters who I wouldn't mind seeing team up with – some uh, other uh, creators, or I should say creations, of the cartoon world. Okay, moving on. Uh, Jeremy Burnett. Uh, Thank you, Jeremy, for your question. I appreciate it. He wants to know, uh, which Doctor Who is my favorite, and what do I think of the newest series? My absolute favorite Doctor going way back would be Tom Baker, as far as the classic Doctor Who run. Uh, The fourth Doctor was incredible So off the wall, such an unconventional character Bohemian, funny at times, brilliant at times Always interesting, a beautiful voice Tom Baker has one of the greatest voices ever Um, I was also very fortunate because For the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who Can you imagine, we just had the 50th a couple years ago But I'm sadly old enough that I remember when it was the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who In the early 80s had the pleasure of meeting uh, John Pertwee, the third doctor, Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, and Peter Davidson, the fifth doctor. They all came on separate uh, public appearances. In the case of Pertwee and Tom Baker, they were solo appearances. Peter Davidson came with his wife, Sandra Dickinson, to a comic book store in the city. I wish I could remember which one, but they were great. I had uh, a, a copies of the paperbacks of the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for his wife, Sadra, who played Trillian in the original television version of Hitchhikers, which is the first iteration that I had to uh, experience the Hitchhiker story. And then also Peter Davidson, his episodes hadn't reached America yet, but his first uh, novelization of one of his adventures, The Visitation, which featured a photograph of Peter as the fifth doctor, had appeared. So I got him to sign that. And Sandra said, oh, we should have Peter sign our hitchhikers, your hitchhikers book as well. Didn't you realize Peter was the dish of the day in the television production? I didn't realize that. I mean, he's all made up with prosthetics and he's got kind of a pig face and a cow body. It's a very funny scene. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of an unbilled cameo. Peter Davidson is the dish of the day in the Hitchhiker television production. And he kind of, you know, shyly looked down and was kind of embarrassed. But I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And Davidson could not have been nicer. Great guy. Uh, Sandra Dickinson was just lovely as well. Later on that same year, they had a Doctor Who convention. And um, uh, not only did Davidson show up, but John Nathan-Turner. And companions, Nissa and Tegan, they were lovely. I had crushes on both of them. I was a young 13 or 14-year-old man when I met them. Um, also, the Brigadier was there, Nicholas Courtney. It was amazing meeting the Brigadier. Such a unit fan. I love that portion of Doctor Who, and that kind of makes me lean towards John Pertwee as my second favorite all-time doctor because I love the unit stories. I love the idea of... The United Nations kind of fighting aliens and stuff. It was great stuff, man. Just loved it. Um he was hilarious in his uh appearance. And in fact, there's a YouTube of uh John Pertwee on Sven Gully with my buddy Rich Coase. And uh he's great and camps it up and you know Pertwee was a great hero, great action hero, fantastic doctor. And Peter Davidson was I appreciated the contrast between him and Baker after he came and how bombastic Tom Baker was to get into the more subtle approach of Peter Davidson. It was still very good stuff. So that's, that's my uh, three favorites of the uh, classic era. In the modern era, um, I, I've loved all the Doctors. Again, it's kind of like James Bond. There's no such thing as a bad uh, Doctor Who or James Bond. It all comes down to the writing. And I think Eccleson was well served with great scripts. Uh, but David Tennant, I would have to say, hands down, is my favorite Doctor of, of the new breed. Uh, Still loved Matt Smith. Peter Capaldi, it took a while for me to warm up to him. And that was interesting because I'm a longtime Peter Capaldi fan going back to uh, one of his first movies, a great Scottish movie called Local Hero that was made by Bill Forsyth that featured uh, Peter Riegert of Animal House and The Sopranos and uh, Burt Lancaster. A great, great, interesting movie about a Houston executive trying to buy up land in this quaint little Scottish town. And he ends up getting seduced and falls in love with the town. And uh, Peter Capaldi is a very young man, is uh, one of the townspeople. Uh, Great, great movie. I can't recommend it enough. But I don't know. As the Doctor, it took me a while to warm up. I also felt that a lot of the companions stayed around a little too long. I felt that way about Amy and Rory as much as I loved them both. uh, It got kind of old after a while that they were still there. And I felt the same way, too, about Clara with Capaldi. It just went on too long. And I also kind of felt like they were jerking us around about, is she dead? No, she's not. Yes, she is. All this back and forth shit. I liked Bill with Capaldi, and I started warming up to the doctor. Loved the way all that wrapped up. And my God, that final episode, that Christmas special with um, Capaldi and um, I forget David, whatever his name is, last name, who's been playing the William Harnell doctor since. Just terrific. Again, tremendous writing, great contrast between the first doctor and uh, the Capaldi doctor. So uh, that was really great, wonderful conversations between them. I really like Jodie Whitaker, and if that's her name, and uh, forgive me if I'm getting it wrong, again, kind of going extemporaneously here from the hospital room, but I really do like Jodie Whitaker a lot. She reminds me in the best ways of David Tennant in the same way that Kate Mulgrew kind of had a Kirk thing going with her starship captain portrayal in star trek voyager so i really like the flavor of jody whittaker and i like what she represents i can't decide if i like the group as companions versus just one or two companions it seems like the tardis is a little full these days and uh, i don't know how i feel about that or not i'm gonna have to revisit this season and get a better handle on it but i certainly love the direction that doctor who is going in and uh love what i'm enjoying so far now I'm gonna wrap up here. This conversation continues in part two, which I recorded earlier, but unfortunately was having some technical difficulties. Uh, record, uh, the the part one recording didn't come out So I've actually had to record this part one a couple times So you will catch me in mid-thought About David Tennant As I start part two on Word Balloon So do yourself a favor Don't just stop here If you like what you're hearing you got another 80 minutes in part two Of more of these uh, listener questions Thanks a lot for listening Great stuff coming up with Word Balloon In the days and weeks ahead, I promise you And uh, thanks for being on the journey with me and all the well wishes as well as I recover from this weird infection wound that's going to take months to fully recover, but I will get there and truly your support is some of the best medicine I can get out there. So thanks a lot for listening and check out part two. I'll talk to you in uh, just a second. Okay, so continuing... um David Tennant is my uh, favorite uh, Doctor of uh, the current bunch. Um, What did I think of the uh, new Doctor in the newest series? I like her a lot. I think uh, she is excellent. Um, I'm not crazy about the format currently, and it might take me a while to get used to. I felt the same way about... Um, Peter Capaldi It took me a little while to get used to him And I'll be honest, I'm a huge Peter Capaldi actor fan Going back to uh, his early days On Local Hero uh, A great movie that he made in the early 80s So there you go, Jeremy Tyler Prawl, Have I ever thought about interviewing Olivia de Beradines Or de de Bernadines She's one of the few pinup artists To be Hugh Hefner's close friend no, I haven't. Um, the Playboy phenomenon fascinates me and I've been very happy with my interviews that I've done regarding uh, the Playboy phenomenon with uh, the author of uh, the books, uh, the series of books that she's doing about the history of Playboy. But uh, no, did not occur to me to uh, interview Olivia. Um, Jeff Walken, what other comics runs do you want to see get an omnibus release? Obviously a run that hasn't already gotten the treatment. I don't really know. Um, I got to be honest, most of my favorite runs have been reprinted in various uh, trades and forms and covered, so uh, I have no complaints regarding um, the, uh, the omnibus buses, and uh, yeah, nothing really comes to mind right now that I would like to see get a special omnibus uh, treatment. Robert Lee Jefferson Kofi, what are you reading now that you're enjoying well, a lot, actually. I'm enjoying Bendis' Superman. I'm enjoying Tom King's Batman. I'm enjoying everything that Tom King is currently writing. Uh, I am enjoying Steve Orlando's Martian Manhunter and his Electric Warriors. Both uh, projects intrigue me and haven't disappointed so far as far as the actual issues go. Um, Teeny Howard, I love everything that she writes and uh, have become quite a fan very quickly of a lot of her stuff. Mark? Le Foray, I know it may be varied, but what kind of activities and research do you do before your conversations? Does it vary between Word Balloon and Big Bout? Yeah, it does. Because uh, although I have to say, I'd say about uh, 85 to 90 percent of the conversations I have in both uh, Big Bout podcast and Word Balloon, um, I'm already a fan. I've already done the research because I enjoy reading uh, the, the creator's books Or I enjoy – I've been watching the fights and making my own observations. So when I talk to writers that are covering boxing or uh, different uh, word balloon guests, uh, I'm already immersed in the uh, subject. So it's easy for me just to kind of have an extemporaneous conversation. Dan Dunn, who would be your breakout artist of the year? Mine would have to be Liam Sharp even though he's been around a long time. Would, you, would love to hear him on the show. Yeah, I agree. Um, I met Liam at uh, C2E2 two years ago and made that initial, hey, we got to talk sometime. So I'll have to get with uh, DC and uh, try and get him on Word Bloom. That would be great. But uh, Mitch Garrett's is my uh, breakout artist of the year. I love what he's been doing with Tom King. Uh, Mr. Miracle is a revelation and I think just amazing stuff. So uh, he would get my vote. Before breakout artist of the year. Dean Haspiel, my buddy Dino. God, I miss you, Dean. We'll uh, we'll do a new show soon. You love comic books. It's possible you've already answered this question in the past, but I'm not aware of it. If you could write one comic from either Marvel or DC, what comic would that be? I have my suspicions, since you also love boxing, I would suspect it could be Wildcat, but prove me wrong. Well, you're partially right. And I do have this great idea for a Wildcat story, set in that uh, post-World War II era when he was still a champion. And uh, I would love to set it in the, in the 40s or in the 50s and have uh, Wildcat interacting with uh, a young reporter named Perry White, um, a broadcast um, executive by the name of Alan Scott. Um, I just think there's a lot of potential in that post-Golden Age era When the JSA and the early uh, years of the Silver Age, uh, where you could have these guys, uh, Roy Raymond, the TV detective, would be involved in my Wildcat story. Uh, I would love to involve Wildcat into the uh, corruption of boxing that was happening in the 40s and 50s when the mob was literally running boxing. So that's some of my uh, Wildcat ideas. However, would also love to do a great super spy story with Nick Fury. Would love to do a space opera with uh, somebody like Adam Strange. Um, So there's a few ideas that I've got cooking. Um, And I also have some other independent ideas that have no ties to uh, DC or Marvel but uh, would love to execute. The trouble is finding an artist that has the time and interest to uh, bring some of my ideas to life. But uh, the Cold War fascinates me as far as an era goes. The 1950s fascinate me as an era beyond the Cold War. And um, I've got a few ideas percolating around in those areas. So there you go, Dean. Food for thought as far as what's going on in my brain. Franco, I love you, Franco. I miss you. What interview have you done that you expected to go a certain way or worried about going but turned out into something really cool? Well, I wasn't worried about interviewing Brian Hill Because I already knew he was such a talented writer. But I got to say, my two conversations this year with Brian Hill have been really fascinating. And, um, you know, I know he's kind of telegraphed that he might only be in comics for another year or so. Um, I hope we continue to have conversations beyond that time because I do find him to be an incredible creator. Um, I appreciate his television work as I saw it represented in the Titans TV series. Um, And I think he's just he's a really smart guy. With uh, a lot of interesting ideas So I, uh, I enjoy uh, uh, Talking to him Riley Brown is another guy That I'm like yeah I like his art Let me talk to Riley Brown But I really appreciate his uh, point of view Ryan Brown A different artist and writer uh, Was a huge support- surprise as well Chicago guy, funny guy Loved his independent comics God hates astronauts Burn furnace among others And uh, Trash Bridge. I was just going over an old interview with uh, Ryan. But uh, Ryan's one of the most entrepreneurial comic creators I've ever talked to and really has this down to a science in terms of crowdfunding and uh, getting his projects made uh, through front-up support from his artists. So uh, there's a couple people that uh, turned out very cool. And one of the coolest things I ever saw at a convention – and Jeff Stein, I know you have a question regarding this coming up. So let me give you an an early uh, version of that. Uh, Evan Dorkin, Milk and Cheese, really funny. And Ryan Brown were on a panel together about independent comics and how to make them. And Evan can be, um, you know, kind of playful in a sarcastic way that some people might take the wrong way. But that said, Ryan Brown just like went through and went through a spiel and they were on a panel together. And at first, Evan was kind of a little cocky with Ryan, and then he really got to listen to him. And it was a pleasure to see Evan do this complete 180 and genuinely respect Ryan as a younger creator and what he was saying. And especially after the panel, to see them co- to talk afterwards. And Ryan, you know, again, Ryan's, Ryan's a young guy. Ryan's Ryan's not one of the older creators that I know, but he's just really smart, business-minded. And it was wonderful to see Evan kind of be like hey this kid knows what he's talking about wait a minute and and really be enthusiastic about talking with them and appreciative that they got to meet on this panel so that was a really cool thing that happened Mario Tianbang uh a pleasure to talk to you Mario as always one of the uh, IF followers and certainly Word Balloon followers there hasn't been a scene missing in a long time is that due to not being able to get Gabe Hardman, Hillary Barter, or Will Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer together? Yes, honestly. Um, I like doing one-on-one conversations. And as much as I appreciate uh, having a good uh, panel discussion or jam session on Word Balloon uh, outside of conventions, everyone's busy. Everyone's got individual schedules. And it really is hard to corral everybody and get them together. Will has been doing a movie uh, podcast, and right now its name escapes me. But if you follow him on Facebook, I know you'll you'll find out what it is. But, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. Gabe has been very, very busy and really focused on his comics work. I don't even see him at conventions anymore. And I miss him. And I really enjoy Gabe. And every now and then we'll still get on the phone and talk. And Hillary's a local friend. And we, in fact, uh, during my hospital stay, uh, we had a great conversation recently uh, talking about movies, old movies and stuff. And it was wonderful talking to him. So... I like those guys. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, just doing a, d- a multi-person uh, podcast is that much harder to corral everybody and get them together. And that's why there just haven't been any more scene missings. But love to talk movies when I have these people on individually. And you can count on that each time they come on Word Balloon. Mario asked me to also rank my favorite stars, starship uh, captains from Star Trek worst to first. Happy to do so. At the bottom, and I love her as an actor. I think she's incredible, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, but Discovery really disappointed me in a lot of ways. And I'm hearing a lot about how great of a Captain uh, Captain Giorgio was. I'm not seeing much evidence of it in the Discovery TV series. Now, in fairness, there was only the one basic story in that first season of Discovery. Uh, I know there's a prequel book that features more of uh, Captain Giorgio, But, uh, yeah, she's at the bottom. And then right after her would be uh, Lorca. Again, Jason Isaacs, amazing actor. Uh, Enjoyed the twists of his character on Discovery uh, Season uh, 1. I'll be very interested to see if he uh, reappears in uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery, uh, moving on with Season 2, or if it goes beyond that. We'll see. Um, And then uh, I would say Archer. After that, again, I mean, again, there's it's it's my like my feelings with James Bond. There's no bad captains in Star Trek, and there's certainly no bad actors who have been captains in Star Trek. They're all excellent, but uh, Enterprise, unfortunately, you know, kind of suffered being uh, the fourth spinoff. And I think, uh, you know, the the writers are kind of bereft of ideas. It always comes down to the writing. That's what I say about James Bond, too. I think all the actors, including George Lazenby, have been fantastic James Bonds. And George Lazenby, by the way, vastly underrated for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's a great movie. And yes, he's not the actor keeping it in Bond for a second that the others who have portrayed James Bond have been. But uh, truly, if you sit down and watch On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's really one of the greatest James Bond movies ever made. Absolutely, hands down. And George is James Bond in that. Um, real fast here, let me give you my James Bonds. So ladies and at the bottom. Timothy Dalton, as he's gotten older, has grown more into the role of Bond. And I really think it's a damn shame we didn't get to see him play James Bond in his 40s and even into his early 50s. Because, like I said, as he's gotten older, he's really, I think, got the look. And it would have been fun to see him play James Bond. I know they were kicking around an idea that uh, maybe... Um, they would have old bonds rescue the current bond or a younger bond. So, uh, so unfortunately, Timothy though is there. Then Pierce Brosnan. Again, in both cases, they were underserved by weak stories, and that's why they're near the bottom as they are. And then after that, I would say Roger Moore, who was the bond of uh, the majority of my youth. The first James Bond movie I saw in the theater was Live and Let Die. And uh, I I loved Roger Moore. He was a little silly as Bond. Um, But then as he got older, for your eyes only, a great straight-up Bond movie. And um, Octopussy is actually a pretty good Bond movie as well. Kind of ended with a fart in View to a Kill. Should have been a better movie than it was, but it just wasn't, especially having Christopher Walken as your major Bond villain. And then Daniel Craig, who I think has been excellent. Um, and again, unfortunately, underserved by a couple of weak stories here and there with Quantum of Solace and portions of Spectre that disappointed me a bit. But at the very end, I have to say uh, Daniel Craig is a fantastic Bond. I love his style. I love his look. And uh, I mean, really, Casino Royale just knocked me out. And it was such a great movie and just heartbreaking when he loses uh, Vesper in that movie. Eva Green. Oh, my God. And, of course, at top, the the original Bond, Sean Connery. Nobody could beat Sean Connery. Those films are on – those Connery films are on their own plateau. I heard Rob Meyer Burnett, my Trexpert buddy, and we'll get back to Star Trek captains in a second, talk about the fact that the Bond films, especially the Connery ones, were very important in the 60s because they really showed the jet-setting life of the 1960s and the international world in a way that most movies couldn't. And I think it really exposed Americans to the locales, the actors, and the filmmaking style of European films. Um, So I'm a huge Bond fan, and I think those Connery films are really in a class by themselves. I know there's a lot of sexist stuff, and if you retro look back, and certainly the misogyny of Bond is never more prevalent than it is with um, Sean Connery. And you could say that to a bit about about Roger Moore. But all that said... um, those are the times. I make no excuses for that. Um, but if, unfortunately, that's just the way it was. But if you want a great straight-up action hero, Connery is Bond, number one. All right. So back to my treks. Uh, I mentioned Archer after the two Discovery captains, in case you fell asleep and forgot what I was talking about. Uh, then I would say Janeway. I thought, uh, again, Kate Mulgrew, very capable, underserved by the writing. And that's the only reason why she's as low as uh, she is. Then it gets hard with the last three because I got to tell you, man, Deep Space Nine is absolutely my favorite Star Trek. It was smart. It was interesting. The darkness of the show, the allowance of characters to be in conflict and not always all be in agreement and stuff. Um, Man, it's hard between Kirk, Picard and Sisko really really hard i mean i wish i could just put all three at the top and truly ben cisco it's i think the most challenged of the captains um on a personal level and also i think on an acting level for uh the great avery brooks got to meet him face to face which probably doesn't hurt as far as my love for avery brooks and uh, I know I've talked about it a million times, meeting him at a convention, but truly it was it was just awe-inspiring. And every interview I've seen of him, he's a very fascinating person. I know he had some health issues, and it sounds like those have cleared up, and I'm really relieved to hear that because he's always been one of my favorite actors. So I guess I suppose, um, you know, you're hearing me rave about Avery. Hold on. Don't worry. Easy fix. There we go. Um, these IVs. I swear. Uh, then uh, Patrick Stewart and William Shatner, such different people, such different captains. Great in their own ways. Um, you 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 cannot discount Kirk's intellect, and you cannot discount Patrick Stewart's physicality, um, because it's easy to lean on the intellect of Stewart and the physicality of Shatner or Picard and Kirk, but both have shown moments of brilliance and two-fisted action that can't be denied. Starship Mind, the diehard Next Generation episode of Patrick Stewart's, incredible, fantastic. taking on his feet, uh, taking down those people that were trying to uh, hijack the Enterprise. Uh, it's a great story, and I, and I think so capable in that story. I love it, and I loved his action moments that we saw in uh, the various next generation movies so uh, I'm a huge Patrick Stewart fan and again Shatner so intense in the first three seasons of uh, the original series and then having a ball in the films Uh, again you can't discount that and they let Kirk age gracefully hated his exit in Generations my right is here um, this proves that I'm at a hospital. You always hear the ambulances in the background. Um, but, I, yeah, I really hated Kirk's death, but really enjoyed his characteri- characterization in Generations. I love when they're in the kitchen and, you know, <laughs> there's there's something missing. And the toast pops. Mm! Great ho- Oliver Hardy sort of moment for Patrick Stewart. I love when, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart's – or rather from Shatner – I love when uh, uh, Stewart is trying to tell Shatner, "You've got an obligation; you got to do it." He's like, "I was out saving the galaxy when you were in diapers. I've got nothing to prove," and he was right. He's like, "He deserved, he deserved his rest. He deserved his retirement, but couldn't stay away." So, uh, yeah, I guess as as you've heard, uh, going in the order of Cisco Shatner, uh, Picard, then Kirk, I guess that kind of at the end of the day shows it. Again, it's that first blush, man. Uh, Shatner was my first captain, and he uh, he knocked me out as a kid. So there you go, Mario. All my uh, Star Trek captains ranked for you. My buddy Chris uh, Polydorus Webster, do you think non Greek people are aware of their inferiority to Greeks? <laughs> or that, is that level of awareness beyond them? Asking for a friend. Of course, she's another Greek as well. I love you, Chris. I miss you. Uh, you know, hey, man, we do fine. Every nationality is proud of themselves, and the Greeks are certainly no exception. I love my Greek friends uh, in the comic book business, Chris Gage, Chris Iliopoulos, uh, Doug Monkey, believe it or not, uh, has a lot of Greek blood in him. Uh, Peter uh, Tomasi as well. Uh, so, yeah, the Greeks, we all, we're all, we all uh, kind of have our own little smile. We have our holidays that are like our Greek Easter sometimes is different from American Easter. So when we all get together, we all have a Greek moment at the conventions. It's always pretty funny. All right, Jeff Stein, here you go. What's my favorite con story? What's my weirdest con experience? Well, I don't have a single favorite con story because when I go to out, uh, conventions out of town, I always say it's really expensive summer camp because all my friends are there. We're all together. We're all laughing. We all get to spend a moment where we're just having a great time, downtime, and it, it's uh, it's a pleasure. It really is, and I'm... So thankful that the comics community has welcomed me into uh, the inner circle. And, uh, you know, I mean, a- anytime Brian or I and Bendis and I are at a c- convention together, it's fantastic. We we spent a good hunk of quality time in New York. We talked about it at the last Bendis tapes that I released. It was a lot of fun. And uh, so that was cool. But uh, weirdest con stories, it's been these weird, especially in San Diego, air quotes celebrity moments because they're not big celebrities but they're some of my favorite actors that i've met over the years uh oh and actresses as well uh rosario dawson getting to talk to her for 10 minutes at the convention floor was just fantastic and what what a lovely person and uh she was amazing um it's those random when you're when you're you're on your way to someplace and, and uh, some uh, uh, celebrities on the, in a, in a, going in the opposite direction but you cross paths and uh, Ray Wise saw my badges, assumed I was somebody of knowledge, and it's like hey I'm trying to get to and I forget what room it was in the Hilton where he was having a panel. And it's Ray Wise from RoboCop and the devil from Reacher and uh, so many – Twin Peaks, of course. So many great character moments. And I'm just like you know, immediately because I know who he is and I'm like, oh, Ray. I'm so sorry. Like I didn't even introduce myself nor did he introduce himself. But I'm like, Ray, I'm so sorry. I wish I could tell you. But while I've got you here, let me let you know I'm, I'm such a big fan and I, and I really love what you do. Uh, and I, I wish I could help you more. And he left. He said, that's OK. It's a pleasure to meet you. And he went on his way. We're in the sales room, the big, beautiful, airy, naturally lit sales room that separates uh, the two sides of the various ballrooms at the San Diego Convention Center. And I'm walking through and Bruce Greenwood is there. And it's, he's not on a mission. He seems – because I don't like to uh, approach people when, when they are busy. Like I literally saw Mark Hamill. And he was literally running, and if he wasn't running, I would have run up to him and said, "Luke, my you know, Luke, my God!" But my, you know, but I know it was Mark Hamill, I'm like, "Oh, there he is, and there he goes." Ah, don't come back, Luke. But it's okay, you know, it's good to see him. But Bruce Greenwood just happened to have a downtime moment in the sales room, and I walked up to him and I said, "Bruce, just want to tell you how much of a fan I am of yours." I said, you know, I loved you in 13 Days. He played John Kennedy in 13 Days, the Kevin Costner movie about the missiles of October, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, I said, but uh, you were fantastic at JFK in 13 Days. He got a smile on his face. And I said, and you were a fantastic Christopher Pike in the J.J. Abrams movies. And he's like, shook my hand. I said, but I got to tell you, I really miss Nowhere Man. Nowhere Man was his 90s UPN TV show uh, that was very prisoner-esque. And it really was this great lost series that never got a final episode, but only had uh, one and a half seasons, I believe. But really, really interesting concept. Look it up. Nowhere, man. And again, with Bruce uh, Greenwood in the lead. Mitch Halleck, my buddy from Terrificon in Connecticut. Can you guess at what character would be a big hit? Wouldn't be a big hit at the box office. Oh. Can I guess a a failure? I don't know, Mitch. That's a good question. Um, I know Venom had mixed reviews. And that surprised me. Because I don't think it has anything to do with character. I think it really, again, it always comes down to writing and execution. So as obscure as Robbie Reed and Dial H for Hero might be, if you put that in the right hands, that could be a terrific movie. One of my favorite superhero movies... Is this Disney movie That was you know kind of in like the Mid 2000s Sky High and uh, It's just a cute Disney Kid movie About superheroes and just the Again the execution was just Right on point point. and they had So many great uh, cameos From uh, some of your favorite actors that I, that I really Appreciated and I thought it was an excellent um, Superhero movie for what it was so And I think superhero movies have changed since then, and maybe even Disney might have a different take on it. But, um, yeah, man, I would – I mean, God, I'd still love to see an Adam Strange movie. And I know I love seeing Adam Strange on Krypton, Krypton. if you're a Richard Donner Superman film fan, Krypton. Um, who else is obscure but some of my favorites? Dominic Fortune – or Dominic Fortune, rather, from Marvel. Um because don't forget, some, some of the biggest uh, heroes have kind of had missteps. The Hulk movies weren't perfect, um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why uh, Marvel isn't rushing to make another Hulk movie. I also know that you know they also have to cut in Universal to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, Mitch. Again, I think it comes down to writing more than it does what character would not be a big hit as, at the box office. Jeff Stein, if you were having dinner at a large dinner table, what artists and creators would you be breaking bread with? Well, that's easy because a lot of them live in Portland and they're among my favorite people. Uh, Brian Bendis, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, Jen Van Meter, uh, Matt Wagner. Let's throw another artist in there who I absolutely love. Um, there's, There's a nice group right there that I would love to sit down with and have a big meal with. And I've uh, at various times either shared drinks or broken bread with them. Uh, But uh, truly, I mean, I'm really lucky, man. 14 years in a word balloon. And uh, these are some of my absolutely favorite people. Um, Matt and Kelly Sue, they're another one that I had a quick drive by and I know I talked about it where literally they're going in one direction. They're heading towards the Hilton. I'm heading back to the San Diego Convention Center kelly sue squeals puts her arms up i hug her i kiss her on the top of the head i'm like i miss you i grab matt i hug him i kiss him on the top of the head i go i miss you and we kept walking uh count on them being on word balloon in the uh, weeks and months ahead i wanted to do something with kel uh to usher in her aquaman debut but uh my schedule got crazy i know their schedules are crazy as well but they always make time for me and uh, i i love them both and uh, same goes with uh Rucka and Jen Van Meter, they're fantastic. Jen, I have no idea why. This is so weird. And I'll even like confess this to everybody. But she reminds me of my mother in the best possible way in terms of the way my mother comported herself just as an adult and just to talk to and stuff. And I do. I just – I love that about Jen. And she's a really smart writer and she's a really fun writer and – Different from Greg in a lot of ways, but of course, because they're a couple, they kind of speak the same language as well. Um, so I miss Jen, and it's uh, long overdue to have a new conversation with Jen. Greg and I've, I have checked in since I've been in the hospital. He, he had a great conversation with me. Uh, oh, by the way, another Portland person at that dinner, Matthew Clark, my uh, my buddy who does such an incredible job on Superman and did with Rucka. But uh, he's a huge Star Trek fan. And we had a blast in Cincinnati when we were both at one of Kara and Tony Moore's conventions uh, just hanging out and just talking about Star Trek nonstop for three hours. So fun stuff. There you go, Jeffrey. Ricardo Rodriguez, what TV book uh, – what comic book, regular novel, TV show or film would you think your listeners would be the most surprised to find out that you're a fan of? Um, I can't think of any guilty pleasures – that would shock you because they really do talk about the books I read and the films I see and, and the the comic books that I love. Maybe a film like – well, no. I was going to say maybe a film like My Favorite Year, uh, early Peter O'Toole uh, movie directed by Richard Benjamin. Mark Lynn Baker from Perfect Strangers is the lead. But it's about the golden age of television broadcasting. And you all know I'm fascinated by that subject. Um, I constantly find myself watching um, – videos and reading books and articles about uh, television from its infancy in the 40s and 50s right up through the 90s and uh, into the 2000s. I'm just – I'm fascinated by all that stuff Uh, and that goes for TV shows as well. Movies, you know I'm a classic uh, Hollywood guy. I love Turner classic movies. I appreciate new films as well but um, I'll tell you, man, there were a lot of great writers and directors of, of the classic age that continue to fascinate me. And as I get deeper into uh, older movies and kind of connecting the dots of uh, character actors and writers and filmmakers, it's uh, it's fun to see them all. Mitch Halleck, uh, which con did you moderate the most panels? Uh, believe it or not, Mitch, because you did. Uh, yeah, you get, had me do eight at Terrific Con, which I was greatly appreciative of of, of uh, over three days. But Kara uh, and Tony Moore, again, the Cincy Comic Cons, um, especially the first couple of years, they had me doing like four a day. So I had like, a, I definitely had over 10 and probably 12. And that's a lot. That's a lot of talking. And I know that when I came back to work, it was like, yeah, okay, I'm, uh, I'm back to do radio. Everything's fine. Wrong. <laughs> so it was, yeah, Karen Tony Moore. And that's why I kind of put the cap on and said, all right, I could do three a day. If you ask me to do more than three a day, that's kind of pushing it. So i uh, really looking forward to Terrificon and hope, uh, again, this is going to be a long uh, recovery as far as uh, being mobile. And I really hope that they allow me to travel so that I'll be able to go to Terrificon in August, to Fanex in Salt Lake City in September, to New York Comic Con in October. Uh, fingers crossed, kids. And I will do everything I can to heal up as much as I can. But uh, also I'm going to be listening to my doctors very carefully. Clay Fernald. Feel better, Johnny. Thank you, buddy. Curious if you saw Mission Impossible Fallout and if you liked it. I have to confess I am two films behind in the Mission Impossible franchise. I enjoy them when I see them, um, but I don't feel the the need to see them in the theaters right away. Uh, intrigued by Henry Cavill being in there and certainly those trailers and previews certainly looked interesting. So uh, I, uh, I, I am looking forward to it. But yeah, I'm I'm the kind of guy that all right when it when it shows up on cable or streaming, I'll watch it then. John Freeman, John, can you share some of your favorite monster movies or monster movie memories? Follow up: Have you been following Legendary's Godzilla Kong movies? Do you have any thoughts on those? Um, I have not been following up on Kong on Skull Island or the Godzilla film or whatever's coming after that. Um, something's missing, and I wish I could explain. My lack of interest. It's kind of the same thing, believe it or not, with the newer Planet of the Apes films, which drives my buddy Tony Fleece crazy when he knows I haven't seen a Planet of the Apes film as far as the new ones go. I love the first one, but I still haven't seen the subsequent sequels of the newer batch. And the same goes with uh, the monster movies. I'm a classic. I'm shrugging right now. I'm a classic monster movie guy. I love the uh, universal films of the 30s and 40s. Including the many sequels like Son of Frankenstein. That's a great movie. Basil Rathbone is the Son of Frankenstein. And uh, the development of Igor through the movies with um, Bela Lugosi playing Igor. The um, Ghost of Frankenstein about Frankenstein's brother. And Igor plays a prominent role in that movie. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Uh, all those classic Universal films. Including the very early ones like Dracula and The Mummy and Frankenstein. I love those. I mean, I grew up on those. Those were my jam. Uh, my buddy, Rich Coes, Svengoolie, who hosts uh, the wonderful uh, Saturday Night Movie Show. Uh, those are the ones that intrigue me. I love the low-budget ones of uh, the 50s and 40s and, and into the 60s. Uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, a lot of the schlocky ones. That was just fun for me, man. Black and white, mad scientists gone wrong. I'm in. Bride of the Adam. Uh, The the Ed Wood movie, things like that. And then I really like the Japanese Toho films for their own goofiness. Quentin Tarantino, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before on the Word Balloon podcast, um, has a great theory about the Toho films in that they almost take place in an alternate universe where Japan won the war. And not in any evil way, but that Japan is the dominant superpower in those Toho, Godzilla, Mothra, Gamera movies – and they're the ones taking care of the big world problems. I love that idea. I think that's fantastic. And it's made me rewatch them with a greater appreciation. But especially the Godzilla movies, even into the 90s, give me the guy in the rubber suit over the CGI Godzilla any day. Any day. Eventually I'll watch that new Godzilla with Brian Cranston because I love Brian Cranston and I heard enough good things. And the same goes, I guess, for Skull Island. But I'm just in no rush as far as the new movies go. There you go, Chan. Sean Farrell, nice little shout-out saying that he thinks I'm awesome. That's very nice. I appreciate it, Sean. Paul Stevens, my question. DC, Hanna-Barbera have uh, – the the DC, Hanna-Barbera stories, the mashups have been popular. Which Marvel characters would you cross over with any cartoon characters to create a one-shot and who would write and draw it? Well, who would write and draw it I couldn't say because classic example, that rough-and-ready miniseries that Howard Chaykin did – and I right now, and I'm Max, and I can't remember Max's last name, the artist. But man, I have no idea who that guy is, but he was absolutely perfect for it. And I thought it was fantastic. I've loved all the DC, Hanna-Barbera crossovers that I've read. They've all been wonderful. Um, so I'm shrugging as far as who would write and draw them. But I wouldn't mind seeing Spider-Man team up with Adamant. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing the Hulk team up with uh, Captain Caveman. Or Frankenstein Jr., to to give a couple examples. How about uh, the Ann Hill mob, the gangsters, uh, running up against the Kingpin? The uh, gangsters from Wacky Races and Penelope Pitstop. I think that might be kind of fun. Uh, Maybe Penelope Pitstop would meet the Black Widow. So there's a little grocery list of uh, Marvel cartoon character mashups for you. My buddy Brian Crowley asks, have you been reading Nancy by Olivia James? Uh, I have. And I'll tell you, I like it. I think it's terrific. I think they've taken Nancy. She still looks like Nancy, as she always did in the comic strips. But now there are gags about her iPod or about, uh, you know, modern things. And it's been very interesting watching the reaction to Nancy. But uh, I think it's a terrific strip. And it's a shame because there's a lot of good comic strip work going on right now. I don't know how people are getting them. I hope there's enough people that are subscribing to them. Through services like gocomics.com or uh, the King Feature uh, syndication thing. You know, you can do it and you can go to them, and they're reasonably priced. I mean, King Features thing, last time I checked, it was like $20 for the year, and you could essentially get a whole like virtual comics page or section like you would get in the newspaper, and you can make it with not only new stuff. But you could also pepper in some classic stuff, too. So that's what I was doing. And I was doing things like my favorite uh, comic strip that nobody remembers called Big Ben Bolt, where the hero was a boxer Um, and Flash Gordon and getting not only great Alex Raymond Flash Gordon, but Dan Barry Flash Gordon and some of the other wonderful writers that are artists that drew Flash Gordon. So I hope people are still consuming uh, comics and uh, getting their uh, taste of them every day because uh, that's a great tradition. I'd hate to see it die. All right. Let me see here. I got to reach my spiral notebook because Stan Guzik asks me, what is my ultimate JLA and Avengers lineups if I could choose? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say, Stan, you're going to be very bored by my choices because um, I like the classics. So when it comes to the Justice League, it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Black Canary, Hawkman, and the Atom. Those are my favorite people to be in the Justice League. I think they cover every possible contingency. Um, And then as far as the Avengers go, I would say Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Hank Pym, the Wasp, uh, Black Panther. The Thing for something different because I really appreciate it when Brian Bendis – Put the thing in the Avengers, and I think the thing would be kind of useful in there and more useful than the Hulk. He'd be more uh, willing to uh, be there with the Hulk. Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and um, Hawkeye to finish out my Avengers things. Say Sorry, man. Boring. We've seen it. We've seen it happen, and I do understand. But uh, that's my uh, lineup for, uh, for the Avengers in Justice League. My buddy Haas Pascal, uh, I love seeing him in New York and we always have dinner and uh, I always sit down with him and go over television shows that i am been digging and everything. Are you going back to watch Star Trek Discovery and if so, why? Yes, I am because I'm an optimist and as much as I had problems with Discovery's first season, A, I'm glad Star Trek is back. B, I'm certainly open-minded enough to know that a lot of first seasons can be clunky I can't watch the first season of Barney Miller. Barney Miller is one of my all-time favorite shows, but those uh, those first few uh, seasons are just annoying to me. Or the, those first thirteen episodes, it's just too raw. That they haven't found their footing yet. Everyone's trying too hard with jokes. Um, it's it's not a pleasant uh, experience. So, um, you know, I, I as much as I like Barney Miller, not a big fan of. Uh, you know that those first thirteen episodes, and with that in mind, um, I do believe that uh, you know these uh, the people that make Star Trek Discovery could uh, likely you know fix a lot of things that didn't go right in the first season. Let's see what they do. I'm very interested to see what they're doing with Christopher Pike. Of course, I'm intrigued by the idea of young Spock. I have to admit, I still have my doubts and concerns, and you have yet to see a justification why Michael Burnham needs to be Spock's sister. I had no problem with, I would have had no problem with her just following her as a character, but they needed to put that extra layer on that they think is great, and I roll my eyes at. And as I keep saying, if you're really into Star Trek, let me pull a 3D uh, chess dimension, a three dimensional chess move on ya. you. Wanna make, you want to impress me? Let's see a flashback dinner scene between Spock, Michael Burnham, and Cybok. Because those are three very different characters. So you really want to impress me, Star Trek Discovery producers? Make Cybok matter as much as you're trying to make Michael Burnham matter. And with the right writing and the right dialogue, I think it's possible. I'm also very uh, excited about the new uh, Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard series, although he may not be a captain, as we well know. The fact that Michael Shaban is involved, I'm very excited. You might have heard on the last uh, Hospital podcast, I talked about how much I loved... The the for the most part the short tracks I I thought they did a they did a decent job and I really loved that Michael Shabon run that uh, he wrote I thought that was excellent so I think there's still an upside to Star Trek Discovery Uh, CBS All Access is still getting my six bucks a month and uh, I'm I am looking forward to it we're only a couple weeks away actually we're only a few days away I think it comes back on the 18th and I'm recording this on the 13th so pretty excited. David Silly, hey, John, big fan of the show. Do you have a favorite podcast you listen to? Big thanks for turning me on to the Carson Podcast and Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast, Feel Better. Well, those are two of my favorites right there. Uh, Another one that I love is Karina Longworth's classic Hollywood uh, podcast called You Must Remember This. A great first-person narrative that – I mean she writes it so well and has great music behind her and I I think just does such an excellent job of holding the listeners' attention. And it is my ambition to do a first-person narrative podcast. And I know the subject that I would do it on, it would be in boxing. And I would love to, much like my Wildcat story, I would love to talk about and and document the actual uh, history of when the mob really ran boxing. And I mean ran boxing from top to bottom. They had all the champions, they had all the... Uh, venues where live boxing was going on. They had the television and radio contracts when they broadcast boxing and the closed circuit uh, contracts for the big fights that were in the pre-pay-per-view era. But essentially the same thing as pre-pay-per-view. You would go to a theater to watch uh, a closed circuit fight as opposed to getting it into your home. But that's a very fascinating era. And it was from the very late 40s to the very early 60s. And it was the Senate that uh, declared them to be a monopoly and forced um, the business front men to get out of the boxing business. And it had a lot to do with some Chicago big business guys. Jim Norris, who was the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, and also his partner, Arthur Wurtz. They had controlling interest of Madison Square Garden, the big arena in Detroit, the Chicago Stadium, and the the big arena in St. Louis. And uh, boxing used to be on television three nights a week. And you were guaranteed that two or three nights of those weeks, uh, it would be the International Boxing Club. That was the name of their organization that ran boxing from top to bottom. So I would love to do a, a show like Karina Longworth's. And you must remember this. So I like those. I love Dana Gould's podcast. I think he's hilarious. Really happy that he came on Word Balloon. I enjoy Mark Maron's podcast when I... I'm intrigued by the guest. If he's talking to a music person that I'm not interested in, I'm not listening. Um, but I really like Mark Maron's podcast. I appreciate the comparisons that people make to Word Balloon, specifically with Marin's podcast. Um, I think we both independently knew the kind of show we wanted to do, and they're very similar in terms of doing these conversations rather than straight up interviews. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky. You know, my background in bo- bo- broadcasting has allowed me to kind of ease into this style. And uh, without having to worry about commercials or any other kind of breaks uh, within the conversation, I can always get a natural flow. And that's what I look for when I'm listening to a, a good long-form podcast. But I like long-form podcasts. My favorite Star Trek podcast right now is called Trek Trexperts, and it's Mark Altman – who co-wrote and uh, was one of the big guys behind Free Enterprise with uh, my buddy Rob Meyer Burnett. Um, He's got a great show, and they've got about – they started it this year. They've only done about a dozen or so podcasts, but it's great because they really know their Star Trek, and they have amazing people on, writers from the show, former producers, former uh, technicians who worked on the show, and just flat-out fans that know their Star Trek backwards and forwards – and it's always great to hear them uh, tackle a discussion. So Inglorious Trexperts is another one of my favorite podcasts. But like you said, too, love the Carson podcast. Love Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Frank Santo Padre has been very generous. Uh, we've, we've had our social media conversations online. And uh, I hope to have him back soon because I really appreciate what he and Gilbert are doing. And uh, it's just a great exploration of old Hollywood while these people are still alive and are able to tell their stories uh, John Aston from The Adams Family and the second Riddler of the 66 Batman series is coming on soon Patty Duke's uh, former husband and uh, I think John Aston is a very interesting guy great character actor, very funny comedic actor and I can't wait to hear his stories on uh, Gilbert Gottfried's show but every week it's, it's just fantastic Chuck O'Donnell In the inevitable tough times in life, we look for whomever we can to latch on to help us through. Have comic books helped you in a tough time? Have they lifted your mood or given you inspiration during a rough batch? I'm sorry if this is a bit of a personal question, but a funny thing happens when listening to someone do hundreds of interviews over several years, you feel almost as if you know them. So in that light... A somewhat personal question doesn't seem inappropriate. Hope you're well. Chuck, I appreciate the question. You're not the first person to tell me uh, that Word Balloon has helped uh, them during rough times. And it's really heartfelt. And it really makes me stop and shake the person's hand and thank them. And, and thank them for finding solace in what I do. I get it, man. You you put in the earbuds and it's you, the podcaster, and the guest or just even even in today's case, just you and me talking right now. So uh, I know, I know, I know the intimacy of podcasting. It's one of the great things about radio, and it's what attracted me to radio more so than uh, television or any other broadcasting. I tease about yeah, I got a face for radio, but the reality is, I like the intimacy. It's what turned me on about radio when I was a kid, and podcasting is that next step forward. Again, where you've got time to do a much more long form uh, content. Without worries of Well, gotta move on to the next show Or gotta make room for the next commercial and the like So uh, that's why I do Word Balloon The way that I do it, so I get it Um, I mean, comic books have always been A part of my life, there was really only this period at post-college when I couldn't afford them When I stopped reading, and also I just was turned off by Early 90s comics um, When art took the front seat Over writing I just felt like the stories kind of went down uh, when, when comic books were more like baseball cards. And in fact, one of the episodes I've got coming up in Word Balloon explores the 90s. And uh, we talk about the great stuff and we talk about the stuff that I'm just describing right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It really uh, – 1999 brought me back to comics because of Kevin Smith and Brian Bendis and Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka and writers like that. And it was great to see that uh, they – you know comic books just continued to evolve, and the storytelling evolved um you know i mean i I know when my father passed away um, I don't think I was reading comics then that was a big life crisis in my life. Um, I read comics when my, my mother passed away, and i those were really when I was just starting to read comic books. I didn't see it as any sort of way to get over her death or process what I was going through on a personal level. But, uh, no, I get it, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think I need more sensory engagement from my media to say that something really helped me get through a tough time. In fact, I just posted during the early days of this uh, illness that I'm getting over. I really binged on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast and re-listened to a bunch of my favorite episodes and it was just so funny hearing these people, especially this one old Italian comedian, Pat Cooper, just a funny dude. I was always a fan of his when I was a kid. And uh, you know his years on Howard Stern in the 90s and into the early 2000s and other radio shows, he's just a very funny, angry, smartass of a comedian. And I always found him funny. Uh, we used to book him and have him on our sports station in Chicago. And we had a local TV show for a while as well. And I kept begging the star and the producer, my buddy Mike North and uh, his wife, the producer, I'm like, get Pat Cooper out here. He's going to be hilarious. He's totally the right comedian for this crowd that we have because we had a very predom- – the, the show was shot at uh, an Italian restaurant. It was pre- predominantly an Italian crowd. I'm like, they'll eat him up. They love him in the same way that they love the Jake LaMotta was on the TV show. And, you know, Jake, former middleweight champion, of course, famous for Raging Bull. But, uh, yeah, it was a moment of Italian pride, I think, in that audience. Uh, Same thing when they had Frankie Avalon on and some of our other Italian celebrity guests. I'm like, you got to get Pat Cooper, man. So, but yeah, you know, honestly, Gilbert's show really helped me out those uh, first few days when I was really scared. And, uh, you know, the recovery that I'm now experiencing... Wasn't as uh, definite as they were attacking the infection with antibiotics and various treatments. By the way, again, everything's going in the right direction, so don't worry. Like I said, it's going to, you know, they're going to have to do a skin graft because right now I'm still dealing with an open wound that uh, is, you know, potentially. Uh, you know, harmful for from an infection standpoint. I mean, it's all bandaged up and everything, but they just got to treat it carefully and they've just got to change the bandage every couple days. And it's going to be months before I'm fully recovered and I'm well aware of that. But I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and promise to take care of myself because uh, there's a lot left to be done. And I uh, promise you that uh, Word Balloon is going to be a part of all of our lives for months and years to come. All right, my screen closed, so I'm uh, bringing it back up. There we go. Let's see here. What do we got? Zach Goyette, another good friend uh, of Word Balloons that uh, supports and is part of the League of Word Balloon listeners. When you started Word Balloon, was it always your intent to do a conversation show more than a straight interview show? I love how unscripted the show has always felt. It sounds like two friends catching up. Thanks for all you do, and I'm happy you're on the mend. Well, thank you, uh, Zach. I, I genuinely appreciate that. Um Yes, it, it was, because my favorite interviews have always been the ones that went beyond uh, the Q&A that you might hear in a Dragnet episode or a news reporter asking somebody their questions. I want to get to know the people. I want to know what makes them tick. Uh, Rolling Stone always did incredible interviews, but also another great uh, music magazine, I don't even know if they still make it or not, uh, was Musician. And I really felt like I was getting inside the uh, musician's head when he would be interviewed for Musician Magazine. And you just learned more about them. Spin was like that as well. Um, Bob Guccione's son, whose first name escapes me now, but I actually got to interview him on the radio. He created Gear Magazine in the uh, 90s. I don't even know if Gear is still being written or not, but it was kind of like a maxim of its day. And I felt like um, in both cases... Uh, musician gear, and even Rolling Stone. Y- you did. You just y- you got to know these people on a more personal level. So, uh, as I've done interviews at at uh, in sports radio, that was always my intent. Looking forward when I would finally uh, get to do uh, the word balloon interviews. Ben Hayes says, "I love that it's a conversation podcast and not just a Q and A. It's so much more interesting, and sometimes the tangents that you go on with the various guests are even more entertaining." Agreed, and nothing makes me happier than when I hear from a uh, creator that I am friends with that, you know, I was talking to you about making model ships on Word Balloon and at the next convention five people who love doing the same thing came up to me and then said I love doing that it gives you guys and and women a, a chance to connect with these creators on a more personal level beyond just loving their work you know, and it's just, that's awesome hey, you like auto racing, I like auto racing too and you know, that's great everyone loves to talk about the things they love so there you go Henry Barajas, awesome uh, journalist and comic creator himself. Favorite boxer? Well, of course, Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, truly loved, loved watching Ali's career. Got to meet him in the early 90s, and what a, what a thrill it was uh, to meet him. Uh, George Foreman. I really appreciated the, the fighter George became in the 90s, and it was a pleasure covering him in the 90s. Um, it's funny. Roy Jones, I always thought was kind of arrogant in the ring. I liked him as a guy just to talk to him. But uh, I got to admit, I, not that I rooted against him, but I always was just like, yeah, Roy, you're, you're very careful with who you select as far as opponents and things like that. Tommy Hearn's a huge fan of. Marvin Hagler, a huge fan. Uh, these are old timers. Uh, current boxers, uh, good Lord, Vasily Lomachenko is such a great boxer currently and fascinating to watch. And uh, truly, he's my current favorite boxer right now. Fred Wheaton. Did you collect trading cards as a kid? Sports, movie and TV cards, humor stuff like wacky patch- packages? I did collect wacky packages. I collected baseball cards. Not so many movie and TV cards, but I did do uh, definitely did baseball cards. was very, very into baseball till I was about 13 or 14. Watch games every day, could you know tell you chapter and verse of every player in every team and every league. And I, I did. I was a very diehard baseball fan, and I still like uh, escaping and sitting down and watching any any sport. The only one that I can't really get into is hockey, and it's a shame because so many of my friends have become important hockey broadcasters. My dear friend Judd Surratt, who uh, worked with me at the Score in Chicago, is now the voice of the Boston Bruins, and you know uh, he was also the voice of the Chicago Wolves, the minor league hockey team that was incredibly successful, won several championships, and you know, and, and also the Blackhawks themselves. I just always had access to go to games and get to know the players, and it was really fun, and it's always been fun knowing these guys. Just can't get into the sport. I'm not sure why, but I could very easily get into watching a football game, a baseball game, a b- baseball game. You know what I'm saying? Of course, it's still a baseball game, uh, a basketball game, so... Yes, I did, and I loved wacky packages. And actually, Frank Santo Padre, when I talked to him, he uh, wrote a lot of the uh, text behind some of those great wacky packages back in the day. How do you deal with negativity in the comics community? You're, most super, you're mostly super positive, but how do you de- how do we how are we to deal with the current uh, cancers invo- in- infecting our hobby? That's from Mark Buxton. Well, Mark, I I don't worry about it. Um, the closest I came was when I. Had Mark Wade on because the whole diversity in comics thing and uh, the guy behind it, uh, Richard Meyer, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand where the hate was coming from and why. Um, it's it's weird. It's just weird. It's, you know. I mean do you really have to go out of your way to crap on something? I mean we're seeing it with Star Wars movies. We're seeing it with – you name it. And I guess you could even say I, uh, maybe I'm kind of like that with Star Trek Discovery, although I don't think so. I'm critical of it, and, and there are things about it that disappoint me, but uh, not to the point where I'm like it shouldn't exist or these people are you know scum and just, again, the level of hate. You got to turn the other cheek. It's like, great. Too bad. Boo-hoo. I'm sorry this stuff upsets you. Uh, find a comic that you like and stand on my face. I don't, I'm not interested. I don't care. I don't care what you don't like about it. I don't care what people don't like about the hobby or the creators or whatever uh, slights or unfairness they see. It all seems very personal with them, why they're not breaking into comics, why they're not getting jobs at DC or Marvel and the like. Um, sorry. I don't know. I mean – you know, I I haven't gotten the radio job that I was always looking for. So what did I do? I started my podcast and I'm doing the kind of radio show I've always wanted to do here online. I don't understand why people can't do the same thing. And it's an easy solution and it's incredibly rewarding and you'll you'll feel better about yourself. And those guys are doing that. So, hey, maybe maybe they'll shut up about the stuff they don't like. I doubt it because I also think that they're using – People's uh, dislike to their advantage. And I, I'm just not wired that way. I don't care. So uh, I'm happy to stand up for my friends who I think are being slighted. In the case of Mark Waid, that's what I did. Uh, I'm happy to disagree verbally and say that the writers of color and sexual preference and the like uh, have every reason to be at the comic book dinner table as uh, uh, the straight white men that have dominated the business as long as they have. Um, I don't care. So if they don't like it, that's boo-hoo. That's all I can say. Ben Hayes, what did you think of the Titans show? And are you interested in what DC is doing with their new shows on the app? Very much interested in what's coming. I loved, uh, as I've said, I think I said it on the last show, loved uh, Titans, thought it was fantastic, loved the Doom Patrol kind of back... back, uh, store uh, pilot that they did. Uh, Hawk and Dove were incredibly well-developed, and I thought all that was great. Uh, It's a very exciting time, and I do enjoy what DC Universe is doing with their streaming. Back to Mark Buxton. Who was your most difficult interview and why? Um, I think I've been honest about this, and I'm happy to say that things have improved. Marv Wolfman was really not... I mean, he was fine. He answered my questions, but... um, You know, I asked him about the creation of Crisis and he's like, you know, it's in the foreword of the book, don't you? I mean, I've answered this question a million times and I'm like, "Okay, moving on. Uh, I said – and I teased him. I said, was it inevitable that a man named Marv Wolfman would be writing a book like Werewolf by Night? And his answer was no. I'm like, "Okay," So got through it. It was fine and I put it out and uh, you might find it on the feed. You might find it on the Word Balloon Classic feed that we got coming up. Uh, Starting this week But uh, the good news is Since then I've uh, met Marv several times We did a great spotlight panel At uh, Salt Lake City's Fan Expo Or Fanex, excuse me And um, Those were great Those were amazing So that really made me feel better And since then I've even just Like seen Marv at conventions and stuff And he's been uh, more relaxed around me So I never took it personally um, he didn't know what podcasting was. He wasn't happy that we'd been talking for half hour. He's like, aren't we done yet? So that's what happened. But uh, again, it all turned out great and since then, great conversations. Uh, also, Mark Buxton, what characters would you love to see come to DC streaming? Whatever they got planned, man. Uh, excited about the Swamp Thing series? Um, I'm trying to think of any DC heroes in particular that I'd like to see done on uh, DC Universe that haven't already been done. Um, And obviously there's a lot. But I would be just as happy with a Freedom Fighters TV show as I would, um, I don't know, trying to think of another group, a Losers World War II Army show featuring the original Losers, Um, or even the group that, of course, was part of the uh, movie and the Great Vertigo series as well. So yeah, I really I'm I'm open to whatever they got, uh, because they've got a they got a hundred you know they got hundreds of characters to choose from, so I'm in no rush to see what they uh, have coming to DC streaming. I've enjoyed what they've given us so far. Back to Zach Goyet, when the final when uh, the relaunches of uh, JSA and Legion finally happened, Legion of Superheroes and the Justice Society, who are on your wish list for creators for the book, um. You know, unfortunately, I, I have a lack of imagination, so I would love to see Paul Levitz take over the Legion again. I think, I think when he writes the Legion, it's fantastic. And uh, for JSA, I've, I've yet to see anyone beyond Jeff Johns that has the love and appreciation for the Justice Society necessary to tell interesting stories. So uh, I don't know. I, I hope they make good choices, and uh, I'm really excited to see that Both teams are coming back because um, the history of these comic book characters are very important. And that's what makes people excited about them. All right. Sorry, I'm going to disappoint everyone with my next question from Ben Hayes. I would love to have Chris Claremont appear on Word Balloon. I'm sorry, Ben. I would not. Um, I have tremendous respect for what Chris Claremont has done with the X-Men, his creations, his contributions to the mythos. Uh, He uh, and John Byrne did a great run on Power Man and Iron Fist, and he's a fantastic writer. That said, he's literally the most arrogant man in comic books I can think of uh, to the point where he is insulting to other creators, uh, not so much contemporaries, but certainly uh, creators that are younger than him. I know of an instance at a convention where he was incredibly rude to a couple of my friends uh, while on a panel. And what makes me really happy is uh, Glenn Wein was also on the panel with them. And like a mother bear protecting her cubs, Led stood up and essentially the subtext was, hey, Chris, and forgive the language here, but everybody knows how big your dick is. But if you want to get into whose dick is bigger contest, I've created, sw- you know, <laughs> I co-created Man Thing. I co-created Wolverine. All the things that I've done in comics, I am happy to step outside with you and show you how big my dick is. So shut the fuck up and sit down and quit being an asshole. I I just I, I have no interest or tolerance of Chris Claremont. Uh, again, I respect the body of work, just not a fan of the creator. So there's the harsh moment of this Q&A. Mark Buxton, what would you like to see from the Captain Picard series? Um, everything I've read so far intrigues me. In fact, uh, Larry Young... From AIT Planet Lair uh, Comics Uh, Big Star Trek fan Really down on Discovery Not happy that Alex Kurtzman Has become the Kevin Feige of Star Trek Didn't like what he read In the article The most recent article That kind of telegraphed the direction they're going in Um, I disagree I trust Patrick Stewart I trust that he would not come back to a shitty TV idea I trust Michael Chabon. I don't think he's capable of writing bad television. And is clearly a Star Trek fan. So those two factors moving forward have me nothing but positive about the Captain Picard series. I hope that uh, former cast members do show up because they were such important members of Picard's life. I I would hate to see it be just Patrick Stewart with a bunch of new characters. Um, I think there's value in seeing briefly – where some of these other people are as the stories move forward 25 years. Um, again, I always hate the idea of going backwards with these uh, new Star Trek series. You know, they're talking about doing a Khan prequel. Um, and as much as uh, I love, and now I'm blanking on his name, the guy who also did Time After Time and did the Wrath of Khan movie, the director, um, and trust him to write good Star Trek. I want the story to move forward. I mean, good lord, we uh, we ended things with um, you know Romulus being destroyed in uh, the J.J. Abrams movie, and uh, where you know where are we now in terms of uh, you know the the Federation moving forward, and with this hole in the uh, galactic politic of uh, the twenty fourth century, there's a lot of stories to be had there. So I hope a lot of that is explored in the new Picard series. Mark Buxton, favorite Mego toy and favorite Captain Action memories? Well, I'm a huge Captain Action fan, as you know. Ed Cato, uh, my buddy, having the franchise and all. Uh, I, uh, I loved, I mean, one of my first things was uh, having uh, Captain Action. I had the Aquaman series, uh, uh, outfit. I had the Captain America outfit. Um, the rubber masks, the Batman mask, the Batman outfit, really cool stuff. Uh, my favorite Migo toys. Uh, I love the Batman Migo. And I love the fact you could pull off his mask and it's Bruce Wayne underneath. That's pretty amazing. My buddy Scott McMahon. How often do people recognize your voice when you're out in public? Restaurants, cons, grocery stores, etc.? Not as often as you think. Chicago's a big city. And I always say, truly, guys and women, listening. I'm a foot soldier broadcaster. I'm not a big star. I mean, if you're a longtime score listener, you might know who I am. Uh and in fact now even at uh CBS Radio WBBM, doing the traffic reports, occasionally someone will call in and go, My nickname was Shaky. Shaky, is that you? And that's great. And so it you know, it happens a couple times a month. Uh at conventions it's hilarious. And truly one of the first times that I knew I was going in the right direction was it was either two thousand six or 2007 at the San Diego Comic-Con but I was uh, in uh, one of the, at the Hyatt or someplace having a conversation and all of a sudden Rob Liefeld and Jeff Loeb who I had never met before Jeff Loeb goes, oh my god, it's The Voice and I'm pretty sure it was before Jeff had come on, word Balloon for the first time and he's like, I just want to tell you I really love what you're doing and it's Jeff Loeb and you know, Jeff's a friend now but truly, that meant so much. And the same with Liefeld. And, I, you know, I, I honestly, both guys just delight me when they come on. And uh, Rob and I had a great moment at uh, New York where we were talking and uh, look, looking forward to uh, having him back on in 2019. Jeff is so busy with Marvel television, but we'll make time. We'll make it happen. But, yeah, so stuff like that, when it happens, it just blows my mind. And the same thing goes with uh, – uh, Non-convention or celebrity people who are just, like I said, listeners that do remember me on the score. I mean, God, I haven't – the last time I was on the score was literally 19 years ago, 2000. And it was around this time of year. So, you know, I mean that's a generation of score listeners. They don't know who the hell I am. Um, But it's been great. Uh, Every now and then the score will ask me back uh, when they have some of the old announcers to come on and do a little uh, bit with them, which is terrific. And I'm friends with uh, current score hosts, so uh, it's great, and it's it's greatly appreciated that people do recognize my voice. It's a it's a real uh, treat. Okay, Mark Buxton, favorite runs on the following characters: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Spidey, Thor, Iron Man, JLA, Hulk, Fantastic Four, Green Lantern, and Avengers. Whew. Well, Superman, uh, the Kryptonite Nevermore series was a really a great story to me. Um, from the '70s, Danny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman, um, Dark Knight Returns, definitely, that was amazing. And Batman Year One, Frank Miller writing Batman, you can't go wrong. Wonder Woman, um, ooh, that's a good question. I, I would say Greg Rucka's run on Wonder Woman, in particular, uh, I really enjoyed that, and Alan Heinberg as well, but Rucka definitely. Spider-Man, I have not a favorite run, but a favorite single story, and it was in Tangled Webs, and it really wasn't even a Spider-Man story, so I'll keep thinking about Spider-Man. But Severed's Package, the wonderful Greg Rucka story about the Kingpin and one of his henchmen uh, getting uh, final uh, instructions from, I thought that was great. Iron Man, Demon in a Bottle, uh, the great time travel story with Iron Man and Doctor Doom going back to the King Arthur period. Thor, Walt Simonson, hands down. I mean, good Lord. But also classic Lee and Kirby, uh, Tales of Asgard stuff. And a lot of the early stories that wound up in the Marvel superheroes cartoon. So like when Thor first met uh, Hercules and the Absorbing Man and some of those early Thor stories. Justice League, uh, Identity Crisis, Brad Meltzer's story. I loved it. I really did. It was a shock as it should have been. It was hard-hitting. Um and this great untold story of the Justice League, the Hulk, the Jarela story that uh, Harlan Ellison did about the Hulk shrinking down and finding love and happiness in uh, the Microverse, but also Greg Pak's World War Hulk and um, Planet Hulk. Both of those stories were fantastic, just amazing. Fantastic Four, as uh, Jeff Loba said many times, you can't go wrong with the Lee Kirby run. The Coming of Galactus is probably my favorite Fantastic Four classic story, but I loved Matt Fraction's run. I love John Hickman's run. Um, I'm enjoying what Dan Slott is currently doing. All that's great. Green Lantern, Green Lantern Rebirth. I think Jeff Johns, especially initially setting up uh, the multicolor rings and the other uh, versions of uh, you know the rainbow. Represented by the rings. I think all was really great stuff. Avengers. Well, there's Avengers Forever, which I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the creation of the vision with Roy Thomas. I enjoyed uh, the Yellow Jacket story uh, that almost ended with uh, him marrying the Wasp without people realizing it was Hank Bim all along. Uh, again, I really enjoyed Brian's run on the Avengers. Bendis. Um, I really enjoyed John Hickman's run on the Avengers. I'm enjoying Jason Aaron's current run on the Avengers. So there's a lot of great uh, runs as far as those guys go. My buddy, Ed Cato, the man who is, uh, the, uh, keeper of Captain Action these days. What's the right mix of reading new comics versus reading old comics in this glorious age of great reprint editions? What do you feel is the right mix for most people like you? I find there's so much fantastic new stuff being put out there now. Obviously, it's the it's to the right the reader's taste, you know. Um, Ed and I were old school guys, so when you know they come out with a great new collection of Adam Strange stuff, the best stories from the '60s were there. But by the same token, you know, I get excited when Steve Orlando is doing Electric Warriors. Uh, I think that's that's really exciting stuff. So you know, it's your your mileage may vary. It's uh, to each reader's uh, choice as far as the right mix, um, you know there's comfort food and then there's discovering something new and being excited by it. And there's value in both of those things. Uh, Ed also adds, by the way, that he likes the aftershock sponsorship and even picked up an aftershock title. He wouldn't have otherwise. That's great to hear. Good Canadian buddy of mine, Wayne Mousseau. John, what are your favorite non DC Marvel storylines or comics? Well, I really loved uh, Howard Chaykin's Hey Kids comics that just wrapped up. I thought that was fantastic. A lot of John Hickman's uh, creator-owned stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm always a big fan of, and especially his earlier stuff like Nightly News and uh, some of the other great uh, series that he did back then. I'm loving Pretty Deadly from Kelly Sue DeConnick. I'm loving Bitter Root from Dave Walker and Sanford Green. Um, you know, there's there's a couple right off the bat. That I can love tell you. Rick Remender always has amazing comic books, is one of the most interesting and creative guys I know as far as coming up with the novel ideas. And uh, I, I, I do, I just think he's one of the most inventive guys. Tim Seeley is another guy like that that I think is deceptively uh, underappreciated for his concepts and ideas, both original ideas and the, when he's working for DC or Marvel. Jason K. Hammonds, most memorable word balloon interview. Well, uh, there's a reason why Brian Bendis and I talk a couple times a year. Uh, I love the report that we've developed. I love the friendship that we've developed. And uh, Brian's career is a front row seat of what can happen in comics when people outside of the comics appreciate your work. And he gets great opportunities and I get a ringside seat to hear all the stories. You know, I was just at the Peabody Awards. Tell me all about it. I just went and talked to the CIA. Tell me all about it. I love that stuff. It's excellent. Um, But I would also say of other recent interviews, one I'm looking forward to presenting to you guys, Dennis Kitchen, was fantastic. Great exploration of underground comics and uh, a very interesting guy. Really looking forward to our next conversation. So glad that we finally hooked up and I got the chance to – Get to know him a little bit better, and looking forward to getting to know him even more. My conversations these this last calendar year with Denny O'Neill have been amazing, and I'm I'm really glad that I got a chance to really talk to Denny. A lot of my memorable interviews with Word Balloon involve uh, the creators that I grew up with: Walter Simonson, Neil Adams, um, Jerry Conway, my buddy Martin Pasco, um, all people like that. Mark Wade has become a friend. And, and I always enjoy talking to Mark. And again, it's great because we have these shared loves of subjects. So it's really easy to fall into conversation. Chakin man, it is master and student every time when I talk to Howard. And I am delighted by him. I appreciate his I don't give a fuck attitude towards life in a lot of ways. Uh, I love his passion for his creations, I uh, love his smutty comics, even the controversial ones. Uh, Howard has always entertained me and has been such a unique voice in comics. And I am pleased to say that I, th- I don't think Howard would disagree and say we're decent acquaintances, if not friends. And it, it means a lot because, again, he was one of my favorite storytellers in the 80s. And it's uh, it's been wonderful to uh, talk to him and, uh, you know, both of us enjoying or not enjoying – A Bob Hope biography and the like Stuff like that so that's always A lot of fun Michael Capobasso Of the art you've had commissioned by Comic book artists what are your most Prized piece well I don't have just one Favorite piece Uh, my Whole living room Has so many examples of framed Art that I'm so pleased that I got a chance To get Um, I suppose At the top of the pyramid It's my Gene Colan blade That I got from Gene I Gene Gene came on Word balloon very early, was terrific. Really appreciated the kind of interview that I do. I got to talk to him a couple times since. Had a commissioned him to do this beautiful blade that looks like if Blade were played by Stevie Wonder, the nineteen seventy three Stevie Wonder. I love the wraparound sunglasses and he's got the sword. It's it's a beautiful piece. But uh, my buddy Alex Savick did an incredible Green Lantern for me. Doug Monkey did a classic Superman for me. The great uh, Norm Brave Fogel Before he passed away I had him do an amazing Superman Reacting to Kryptonite That's one of my favorite pieces um, I bought two Spider-Man comic strips From Alex Saviak Who was um, Inking over um, uh, Larry Lieber And Stanley writing So it's Stanley, Larry Lieber And Alex Saviak On Spider-Man That stuff's amazing um, My buddy Ruben Procopio Who's known more for his sculpting Then his illustrating did a beautiful Green Hornet and Cato for me. I have a great shadow from uh, Tom Gianni. Okay, we're almost done. Man, nice long uh, pod here. Let's see. We've got um, Brandon Stevenson. What writer at Marvel would you switch over to DC and vice versa? And what titles would they work on? I would love to see Matthew Rosenberg write at DC. I don't care what title he would choose. But I'd be very interested to see Matthew Rosenberg do some DC work. I would love to see Steve Orlando do some Marvel work. And again, I have no uh, specific um, book in mind for either of those guys, but I think uh, that would be great to see them switch. Uh, Teeny Howard. I'd like to see her uh, get her crack at some DC work. And I've loved what she's done at Marvel right now. And Joelle Jones. I'd love to see her do some Marvel stuff. I've been enjoying her Catwoman. Uh, I love her art, but I also love her writing as well. And I think uh, she would be uh, great over at Marvel. Rob Gillespie, will there ever be a word balloon or an AYA tour to Australia? We also have comic conventions and non-deadly native animals. Yes, I'm aware of that, Rob. And uh, God, if I I were independently wealthy, I would certainly uh, head to Australia at the first chance. Because I'm pleased to say that, much like yourself, there are a lot of other Australian word balloon fans and AYA podcast fans um, I hear about it from the creators. They come back to America, Dan Slott and Gail Simone among them, telling me about uh, Aussie fans that knew our word balloon conversations. And uh, Jesus, you know, um, yeah, I, I love Tom Taylor over there, and um, you know the the Australian creators that I'm that I've become friends with. Um, God, so it would be it would be great to go there and do all that. And then finally, uh, Lee Webb, if you were to pick five guests for a roundtable discussion, what five would you choose? Well, you'll forgive me, Lee, but I can't come up with only one group of five. So uh, there's a classic group that I would do involving um, Brian Bendis, Greg Rucca, Matt Fraction, Kelly Sudakonic, and Gail Simone. Would love to sit down with them and hear their thoughts. Uh, there's a, a bit of a newer era and you just heard some of the names mentioned, but I would love to have Matt Rosenberg, Tom King, Joel Jones, Teenie Howard, Steve Orlando, all together. Uh, Jason Aaron, John Hickman, Rick Remender, Jeff Lemire and Tim Seeley would be uh, would be a great group. And then a classic creator one, I would love to have Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Jim Steranko, Jerry Conway and Elliot Magan. Talk about the Bronze Age with me. I think that would be a really interesting thing. All right. So there you go. Uh, that'll wrap up part two of this uh, word balloon. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, more traditional word balloons coming up in the days ahead. I will have the equipment and finally uh, give you those five interviews that I mentioned before. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hope, you'll, uh, I'll, I hope you'll join me for the next word balloon. Today, today's episode was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you again, League, for your support. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, can't do Word Balloon without you. So if you want to uh, subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon. It's not necessary, but if you want to help the cause out, especially right now, when I am pretty much writing on podcast fumes, it would really be a great help. So thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, who continue to surprise us and will surprise you in 2019 with fresh concepts, fresh stories, by some of your favorite writers and artists I've got a great list of writers here That I think are doing great work at DC and Marvel You know their works at DC and Marvel They're doing excellent work as well as Aftershock Comics I'm talking about people like Garth Ennis Jim Starlin Colin Bunn Frank Thierry Adam Glass Paul Jenkins Marguerite Bennett uh, Great storytellers That are writing really fresh, interesting books Donnie Cate's another one uh, they're, they're doing the same thing in, in Aftershock, in genres and in stories that, uh, you know, you wouldn't find at DC and Marvel. And that's okay. It's a, it's a big uh, comic book world, and you shouldn't limit yourself to just the big two. And Aftershock has a lot of great books that you'll find at amazing prices and uh, great ideas. You can find preview pages and the diamond codes uh, for uh, the comics to order through your local comic store at AftershockComics.com. All right, thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019.